If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. There's a new series coming to Amazon that I am very excited about. It's called This Is Football, and it's a six-part documentary exploring football's extraordinary impact on the world. From the pitches of the Champions League to the village where Lionel Messi grew up to the fields of post-war Rwanda, this globe-spanning series tells a unique story of the game and its power to unite countries, inspire generations, and captivate billions. It's all told through real, heartfelt stories featuring Messi, Pep Guardiola, Brandy Chastain, and many, many others. You should absolutely check it out. August 2nd on Prime Video. I'm fired up to see it, hearing very good things. And we're back. Lagan Lippman in the studio here with me. I feel like we're reliving our Women's World Cup. Me too. I'm very excited about that. Yeah. <laughs> we just have a year-round Women's World Cup discussion. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a lot to talk about, though, about what's happened since the last time we talked, which was literally on the night that the U.S. won the World Cup final against the Netherlands. Um, and obviously uh, a huge moment for American soccer. Um, and there's a lot that's happened since then. So so let's dive in here. We've got um, news to discuss. Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday, Monday afternoon. Uh, U.S. soccer comes out. They hadn't really said anything about the, the lawsuit and the mediation uh, publicly, uh, or very little. And so U.S. soccer comes out with what they say are some figures uh, that they looked into the past 10 years of what they paid the U.S. women's players versus the men's players. Um, and U.S. soccer is saying that if you don't take into account FIFA bonuses, that uh, the, they paid the U.S. women more over a 10-year period in salaries and bonuses than the men's team. Uh, U.S. Soccer saying that, uh, let's see here, what are the numbers? That the women made $34.1 million in salaries and game bonuses from 2010 to 18, while the men made $26.4 million. Um, 
they do also have what the comparison is if you take into account FIFA bonuses. Obviously, there's a lot more prize money coming from the men's World Cup to the men's players than there is from the women's World Cup to the women's players. Um, if you take in, into account that money, the U.S. men have made $41 million over that time span, the women 39.7. Um, what's your take on, on this? I mean, like, I, it's this is a complex topic, right? And um, there's different structures for how the teams are paid. U.S. women's players uh, came out. Uh, Molly Levinson, their spokesman, called it a sad attempt by U.S. soccer to quell the overwhelming tide of support the women's national team has received from everyone from fans to sponsors to the U.S. Congress, claiming on from their side the numbers U.S. soccer uses are utterly false which among other things inappropriately include the NWSL salaries of the players to inflate the women's players' compensation. Any apples-to-apples apples comparison shows the men earn far more than the women. Um, there's a lot to digest here. What's your initial reaction? Well, my initial reaction is they've been, like you said, they've been silent about this. You know, they said they were focused on winning a World Cup and then we'll deal with all this later. And I mean, the women were too, obviously, throughout France, but... It, it, I guess it, what was it after they won um, and there were some little jabs that some of the players mm -hmm. gave like Megan Rapinoe giving Cordero a hug and and then when after the victory parade you know her very impassioned speech and you know she looked much better than Cordero did you know speaking at City Hall um, it's like now they're like okay we got to get organized and we're going to find some figures that no one has seen before and this is going to be our argument and it's kind of like, I don't, correct me if I'm wrong, I kind of feel like, not that the, you know, the women were going to be unprepared heading into mediation, but now they see this, and they're like, okay, well, we're going to come back with even more facts to back up, you know, our argument. So I think that's going to be interesting. And, um, you know, like Molly Levinson said in her, in her uh, statement that this isn't an apples to apples comparison because they are paid differently based on their CBAs. And I think that I believe that the women have asked to be paid that way is that I mean I think right in that they're part? in disagreement both sides right now over this very fact that the U.S. women's players say that um, I'm quoting from the the statement yesterday the fact is the women's team requested the same compensation structure yeah. as the men have so they would be paid equally for equal performance U.S. soccer refused now that's from the U.S. women's players U.S. soccer says that the players, the women's players, did not want to have the same type of structure paying them that the U.S. men's players do. Like, the basic difference being there's more guaranteed money mm -hmm. in the women's players' situation. They get their salaries paid by for the, for the NWSL by U.S. soccer if they play in the league, which all of them do right mm -hmm. now. And um, there's... Um, there's just more in there that's guaranteed, including health benefits right. um, as well. And this is in part because the U.S. men's players play a sport that's more established and they their club salaries are coming from their clubs. Um, and so whether that's in Europe or, or the U.S., so it's, you know, the U.S. men are paid by U.S. soccer on a you know pay-to-play situation, and there's no yeah. real guarantees there that they'll get called into national team camps to play in games. So, this is the crux of all of this: is equal pay 
is really, really hard to get at when you're comparing the men and the women in the structures of how they're paid. So if you really want equal pay... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. I mean, I, I wish that the men and women would negotiate together. Right. I've been thinking right? about that too. Like the men, I mean, they probably don't want to say anything, but maybe they should, the men side. Well, they did issue a statement earlier in the year oh, that right. they supported um, They supported this. Then Deadspin had this whole story where they said they contacted the players, but they didn't really um, and got a bunch of no comments individually. Um yeah, it's if you really want equal pay, the men's players and the women's players, their separate unions would need to come together and negotiate together with U.S. soccer. I don't see that happening. Um, I guess it's possible, but I've not even heard of that as like a real mm-hmm. possibility here. And so then if you're going to negotiate separate collective bargaining agreements, um, then... For there to be totally equal, a totally equal situation with the men, that I, I would think the women would have to stop being paid for their club performances by U.S. soccer and get paid either by the NWSL teams or clubs in Europe, which are starting to spend more money than they used to. Um, and then they would have a structure that would be like the men's potentially, where they're getting getting bonuses for their performance game by game year round. Um, it's a little hard for me to actually get a full read on based on the statement yesterday about what the women's players are requesting mm-hmm. because maybe they also like they want to continue being paid by U.S. soccer for the, their NWSL salaries and they, they want the, the per game bonuses exactly the same as the men's. But that would also cause them to be paid more than the men. Yeah. So that wouldn't be equal either. <laughs> right. That's, yeah. Okay. But also, um, I'm curious, maybe US, the U.S. Soccer Federation does not care about optics. But, you know, like after, after uh, at the women's final against the Netherlands, fans are chanting equal pay. They're chanting equal pay at the, at the celebratory parade in New York. I mean, they've... We've seen, we're going to talk about this later, but we've seen record numbers at NWSL games. I mean, fans are very passionate about this. And so if this is kind of how, you know, U.S. soccer is treating it, I'm just curious, like, what that means in the grand scheme of things. It's not going to be like the end of this battle because it's going to cause an uproar if the women don't get what 
you know, they want and feel like they deserve. I think, but we also don't know what a court of law would decide. True. At this point, uh, based on the facts. Um, and I'm very curious to see what happens in mediation mm -hmm. because both sides have agreed to this mediation instead of going to court for right now. And if they can find a solution in mediation that they both agree on, then they won't go to court. U.S. soccer has a real incentive not to go to court because if they go through a discovery process, then all sorts of stuff could come out <laughs> that U.S. soccer might not want yeah. to have out there and the, and the players would. Um, and so right now, the big question is, and this mediation stuff's going to happen, is supposed to happen completely in secret. So we'll see if there's any leaks coming out of it once it starts. Um, but based on sort of the the fiery rhetoric yesterday, I'm a little less confident about mediation working out. And if mediation, they can't find an agreement, then it will go back to being a court case. Right. Uh, and once you get into a court case, public opinion doesn't matter as much. Um, so that's where each side is running risks, right? So you've got U.S. soccer runs a risk if it goes to uh, discovery and uh, that process, if it goes to being a court case. Um, the women's players might run a risk if they don't find a solution through mediation because the court decision isn't really going to be influenced by public opinion. And clearly they do have public opinion on their side right now. Um, Plus they have, I, Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia introduced that bill that would withhold federal funding toward hosting the Men's yeah. World Cup in 2026, which they don't want that to happen. Correct. And U.S. soccer is is getting hit from a lot of different sides, including Congress in that case, uh, about World Cup 26 support. Uh, U.S. soccer's own sponsor, Secret, came out publicly right. saying yeah. uh, that the players deserve equal pay. That's <laughs> uh, pretty wild when one of your own sponsors comes out. And uh, so that says something there. I mean, and I think also, too, the U.S. women's players they they know that they've got leverage in public opinion right now mm -hmm. and they are very willing to use it um and so um i just look i'm not a a lawyer i'm not a legal expert and so it's hard for me to know what a court might say here i do think it is difficult it's very easy to say equal pay and it gets a lot more complex when you get into the differences between how how the teams are paid. There are some apples to apples comparisons though, right? So like the bonus that a, a women's player gets from making the World Cup team has been smaller than the bonus mm -hmm. a men's player gets uh, to the point that this company Luna actually made up the difference right. and gave money as a donation, I think, to the US players. Um, so there are things like that. You can have apples to apples comparisons on per game bonuses about how much you get for, uh, for a win versus a non-win or versus a top 10 FIFA ranked team, uh, or Mexico or, or you know, stuff like that. Um, so this is going to be ongoing here, but judging by the response that we're seeing so far from the player side to U.S. soccer, it, uh, this release of figures isn't going over well. I like having a few more facts out there, even if they're disputed facts, which at this point they are. 
I saw a, um, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was on Megan Rapinoe's Instagram story yesterday, right after uh, U.S. Soccer put out this statement. And she said something like, if it were equal, Sue would have a bigger closet. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, I just, you know, at least, you know, it's like the, the players, I, I really respect how knowledgeable they are about all of this. And um, that's one of the reasons why I'm very intrigued about how mediation unfolds. Yeah. And, and there's particular players that have really taken the lead in this over the last few years and have become very involved in it. Uh, the ones I always try to talk to if I'm asking questions are Alex Morgan, Megan Rapino, Kristen Press, and um, Becky? Becky Sauerbrunn. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Yeah, um, <laughs> the player, they're p- player reps, or at least former. Some of them are former right. player reps. Yeah, um, and they put a lot of time into this. Uh, they put a lot of time into the CBA negotiation back in 2017. Yeah, um, and they're more engaged than most players are in labor stuff. Um, but um, technically, we're not even supposed to know when mediation starts. But at a certain point here, I think some stuff's going to get out. As a reporter, I kind of hope that's yeah the case. Um, there is lots of other stuff to talk about too. Speaking of money, <laughs> Megan Rapinoe, and I actually broke some news last week yeah. when I was still on vacation. Um, I was told that she got between three and four million dollars. So in excess of three million dollars for her book deal, uh, with Penguin, which is, uh, it's actually, I think two books. It's uh, a memoir that's set to come out around, um, next year's Olympics. Okay. And then, a either a children's book or young adult book or, or something like that. Um, She's going to be a busy bee uh, <laughs> over the next year. Now, obviously, I, I fully expect that they'll hire a writer to uh, write an as-told-to book where the writer will spend time doing interviews of, of Megan Rapino, and then will write the story with Megan's approval of mm-hmm. the whole thing. Um, she's still going to be very busy, though. Um, but more power to her for getting that kind of money, right? Yeah. I hope that if it's a children's book and it has some like illustrations, she has pink hair. <laughs> <laughs> I hope the children's book she doesn't drop any uh, F-bombs <laughs> Yeah. Let's make this uh, G-rated. <laughs> Women's empowerment, but G-rated. Oh, shoot. Um, and there is a game this weekend, too, um, for, uh, for Megan Rapino for the U.S. Women's National Team. It's their first victory tour game. Uh, at the Rose Bowl against Ireland. Um, and there's going to be a few victory tour games. Uh, this one is uh, this Saturday. Um, look like tickets not selling great. Ticket prices are extremely high. Uh, but 30000 or so is what uh, we've been hearing so far. Maybe that'll change closer to the game. Um is this, I mean, this isn't like some serious game. Is this, is this no. a chance to like bring out the World Cup trophy and, and get excited if you're a fan, right? Right. I mean, it's also like, you know, the the thousands of fans who obviously didn't go to France and didn't get to follow them around throughout the tournament. You know, they're now on home turf and you can go see them at the, the Rose Bowl. It's obviously a great venue, very historical, especially for women's soccer. Um hearing 30,000 tickets when it seats 90,000 is not, you know, very positive. But as you said, maybe more people will buy later this week. But it's like, it's a good time, you know, football. I mean, there's, you know, training camp has started for the NFL, but there's no football 
games yet so it's also in LA maybe people have better things to do I'd like to think more people would like to come see but then again you also know that you're not sure if Megan Rapinoe is going to be playing she hasn't played yet for her NWSL team um, you know she had a little injury at the World Cup we don't know if Alex Morgan's playing she hasn't played for her NWSL team yet and so it's like if you're going to shell out however much money these tickets are going for you expect to see the stars and even though you are probably a fan, not you, but f- fans are probably fans of, you know, the whole team, you have a certain expectation. And it's like, well, maybe I'll sit this one out. Yeah. I mean, it, we'll also, you know, Alex Morgan came out on Twitter and complained about the ticket prices being too high. Yeah, um, But um, I would expect that even if not everyone plays in the game, including Rapino, that they'll all be on site. Because this is a celebration of sure. of the team, and they're also getting paid. Uh, this is part of their contract if they won the World Cup to be able to have these victory tour games. Um, one big question is: Will we learn whether Jill Ellis extends <laughs> for another year? Because her contract is literally up on Wednesday, July thirty first. Um, U.S. Soccer has a one year option to go through the Olympics, and we haven't really heard much about this situation. The one thing I would say is is that most people would think, oh, of course, Jill Ellis is going to extend her contract uh, through through the Olympics. And that may well be the case. Um, She's won two straight World Cups. Um, I guess as she feels pretty incentivized to win Olympic gold medal after not doing that four years ago or three years ago. And... um, you know, this the situation that we've never in the sport had a World Cup winner in the Women's World Cup then go on to win the gold medal in the Olympics the following year. But I still heard some stuff toward the end of that World Cup that said it wasn't a totally 100% done deal that Jill Ellis was going to stick around. Um, and we've seen some other reports over the last week that her top assistant, Tony Gustafsson, who's had a, a huge impact on the team, especially on the attacking end, Jill Ellis tends to be in charge of the defensive side of things, um, that he might be leaving. But then I've heard other areas that, you know, look, if Ellis doesn't continue, Tony Gustafson would be a candidate to be the head coach. And the players like him. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think the players like him more than Jill Ellis. (laughs) Um, But there's just a lot to be determined here. And we may or may not even hear this week though you would certainly think that with her contract situation being sort of up midweek that we would it kind of my i i am not sure how what she's thinking obviously this is very this is such an unresolved matter it seems but it's it would make sense i feel like for u.s soccer and for jill just keep things status quo through the olympics i mean it's just one more year i mean i say that it's just one more year but maybe you know there's more that we don't know um from her end that she really just is done i don't know but it kind of you would think as a competitor you would like that chance to be able to be the only coach team who has won back-to-back world cup and olympics and then really if you're done call it quits after that and then you know you have three more years before the next World Cup, new coach can get in, you know, figure out after, you know, the exodus of players at probably, you know, either right before or after the Olympics, um, you can, you have time um, to, to kind of see what you have rather than when Jalalis was hired, she didn't have that much time, you know, before the 2015 World Cup. But um, 
yeah, I would. In my, it makes sense for her to stay on for just one more year and then leave. Um, but you know, who knows? I don't see anyone involved here saying yet publicly to this point that they like. I want to go out on top, like as you know, the World Cup champion. Um, whether that's Jill Ellis, we haven't seen Megan Rapinoe say that. She has talked about wanting to play in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Carly Lloyd even has talked about wanting to play in the Olympics. And it's just because of this scheduling every four years that the Olympics are just one year after the World Cup. If there was a two-year gap, I think we might see a different decision-making process from some of these folks. Um, uh, We'll do an ad read here, by the way. I want to tell you about a new series coming to Amazon that I'm really excited about. It's called This is Football, and it's a six-part documentary exploring football's extraordinary impact on the world. From the pitches of the Champions League to the village where Lionel Messi grew up to the fields of post-war Rwanda. I've heard that part's really cool, uh, especially, but they're all good, I'm hearing, from the reviews I've seen. This globe-spanning series tells a unique story of the game and its power to unite countries, inspire generations, and captivate billions. It's all told through real, heartfelt stories featuring Messi, Pep Guardiola, Brandy Chastain, and many others. You should absolutely check it out. August 2nd on Prime Video, this is football. I'm glad they're including Brandy Chastain on that. I saw a clip from it. Um, it seems like you know there's at least one episode devoted to, to the women's game. And um, I do hope we, by the way, do some more women's soccer podcasts as time goes on. If you're yes. willing to join oh, absolutely. me. absolutely. You don't have to sell me on that. Um, and this it, series sounds awesome, by the way. I'm excited to watch it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think there's some really cool things uh, being done out there, um, including on Amazon um, and Netflix and, and SITV. Uh, <laughs> of course. Uh, to, to speak about some of our own stuff. Um, let's talk about the NWSL. Um, they've been getting a nice bump so far post-World Cup. Uh, some big crowds. We saw a record 22,329 in Portland, the king, the queen of uh, (laughs) NWSL cities, best drawing women's team in the world. Uh, But we also saw a record in Tacoma last weekend where uh, where Rain FC plays now, 74-79 was the crowd there. Um, We've seen Utah get some big crowds, over 16,000 for one game, over 10,000 for another even Sky Blue, yeah. the bottom feeder <laughs> traditionally of the NWSL, sold out. 5,003 was the crowd. That may have even surprised me more than the sellout that same day in Portland. Um, if they can get some of their lower teams to do better at the gate, uh, that seems like a good sign. Yeah, but we just have to... It's all about sustaining these numbers. Yeah. So it can't be just for the first couple games after the World Cup. Has to, you know, bleed into next season and post Olympics, and you know, up into the next World Cup. It can't fizzle out. And it's really, you know, it's up to um, this conversation turns into they need more corporate sponsors to invest in the game. They need the the teams to invest in, you know, in women's in uh, in women's sports. And obviously, people just have to keep showing up to support 
you know, their local athletes. It's like, you know, you hear, you heard back during the World Cup, everyone's so excited about Mallory Pugh and, you know, these young stars, Rose Lavelle. It's like, hey, did you know they they play in your backyard? It's like, oh man, I didn't know that. And so then they go and they see them and then you see these record crowds. But, you know, it's also going to be interesting to see like how this conversation improves or digresses like a year from now. We right. saw, you know, Budweiser, um, becoming a sponsor and ESPN um, getting those TV rights. Are they still going to be, you know, doing the same thing next year? Have more um, advertisers jumped on board? Um, That would be obviously a positive in showing that this is, you know, growing within, you know, the United States and the NWSL is is, uh, moving in a positive direction post-World Cup. But if it doesn't, then there's a problem. And the numbers so far on television have been somewhat encouraging in terms of, uh, you know, ESPN and their family of channels is showing a weekly game. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think they got the biggest TV audience since it was the 2016 final for one of the games. Um, And, and, you know, the play has been pretty good too. Yeah. Like uh, Kristen Press has scored two terrific goals for Utah that I've seen. Um, the Chicago Red Stars are kind of killing everybody. They They're loaded. <laughs> rain for nothing last weekend. Uh, Sam Kerr being Sam Kerr. Um, so all of that is encouraging, but you're right. Yeah, let, let's see if it can sustain and, and especially for the rest of this season. The story that I had read speaking to the ESPN people certainly made, they made it sound like they've already talked about extending beyond this season um, and our, you know, they think that's a, a likely thing to happen. That's good. Um, which would be great um, because you really do need to see some long-term stuff uh, come out of this. Now, Budweiser and Nike, um, the Nike deal was reported like a few months ago. It hasn't been officially announced yet, which is weird, but um, they have beyond this year uh, deals. Now we'll see if they can get some more because they really do need to to get more there. Um, and in other news, uh, FIFA came out this week and said they are going to fast track expansion of the Women's World Cup from 24 to 32 teams for 2023. Uh, they're now planning to pick a venue for that tournament next May. It is a little weird that the World Cup ended in 2019 and we didn't know where it was going right. to be. That's unusual, isn't it? Like, usually you know. Like if like the Olympics at the closing ceremony, they yeah. have like the mayor of the next you know city to come and like uh, be part of the ceremony, but we don't know where the next women's yeah. World Cup is yet. Um, so they're going to decide that next May, and there's a ton of countries bidding as of now who have stated their intent. I will read them all: Argentina, Australia, Bolivia. Brazil, Colombia, Japan, New Zealand, South Africa, and a joint bid from South Korea, North Korea, which would be interesting, but I don't really want to go to North Korea right now. (laughs) Um, And they're actually hoping, FIFA, that now that they've said they want to fast track this expansion to 32 teams, um, that even other countries will enter, decide to enter the bidding process. I still think Australia would be fantastic, probably not for TV audiences, but it would be fantastic as a place to go for the Women's World Cup, and they're a good women's soccer country, and I think that would be a lot of fun. 
Um, if they're really going for TV audiences, which, you know, FIFA's about the money a lot, uh, that's just FIFA. Uh, Brazil, maybe? Yeah. I could, I could see that, especially if you could make the argument, you know, obviously the stadiums are there, uh, or, you know, you know, from the 2014 Men's World Cup uh, would be solid. Uh, but when you look at the TV numbers that we saw in Brazil for this tournament, they were off the charts. You know, it was on Globo, their main channel, for the first time. And the last game Brazil played in that round of 16 loss to France, they got an uh, audience of like 35 million, which was the largest domestic audience ever for... Um, a women's soccer game even bigger than the one in the U.S. for the 2015 finals. So yeah, that's impressive. Well, I guess there hasn't there been like some discussion of some of these countries kind of kind of like North and South Korea in a way, like combining maybe yeah. like in South America, Brazil and somebody else. I don't know whether it would be Bolivia or Argentina or yeah, the Bolivia thing I find <laughs> odd because I've never really even contemplated Bolivia's yeah. women's national team, um, but. I mean, like, I, yeah, I'd be totally on board for, like, an Argentina-Brazil co-hosted yeah. Women's World Cup. Um, throw in Uruguay if you want. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we'll see. How do we feel about the expansion idea? Which seems like it's it's going to happen. Um, to go from 24 to 32, we hear basically two arguments, right? One of the arguments is from some people saying, oh, 13 to nothing, USA against Thailand. Right. And if you bring in eight more teams, there's going to be more 13 to nothing score lines. Then there's this other side, which is my side, <laughs> saying um, this is necessary for the women's game to incentivize the growth of women's soccer in countries that have not invested in women's soccer. If they have a chance now to make the Women's World Cup, We've seen this when it expanded 24, more money being spent. And yes, you're going to have the occasional uh, rough score line. Um, but actually, from this World Cup, that was the only real blowout of mm -hmm. the entire tournament. And the actual storyline, if you were watching all the games, was that it was extremely competitive. And that teams like Argentina, which used to get drilled 11 to nothing in previous tournaments, actually had 0-0 zero, zero and 3-3 three, three ties uh, and kept England close. Yeah, and like, I mean, all the Thai players, it seemed like they thought this was a great opportunity. They're going to take back all the things they learned and work on them. You know, we'll see what they look like next time. Um, but yeah, I'm totally on your side as well. This is an opportunity for FIFA to keep growing the women's game and not just showcase your best, you know, your top players on the world stage, which is, I mean, you want to, you want to, other teams like like Italy, for example. I mean, like they were one of the most fun teams oh, yeah. to watch in this whole tournament. And obviously Argentina, as you said. Um, yeah, I mean, I think this is this is going to be great. But it's going to be interesting to see, I guess, how they allocate, right? Like, I, so that you don't have some, you don't dilute the field. I'm actually going to go to a text right now that I got from someone at FIFA uh, this past week because. Um, it included that allocation plan, if I can find it. Um, let's see. Um, so it goes by confederation. It would be 
eight teams from Asia, eight from Africa, eight from CONCACAF, 10 CONMEBOL. Wait, this isn't it. <laughs> that that <laughs> adds up that. to much more than 32. <laughs> um, so, yeah, actually, sorry, I don't have the information here. Um, but this also, by the way, the fact that I got this text from someone at FIFA, they like are really excited about some of these things. Well, that's good. And uh, we may have mentioned this, like at the end of the tournament, the FIFA president came out and said, I have this like five point plan, which includes expanding the tournament to 32 teams, starting an annual FIFA Club Women's World Cup, starting uh, a Nations League for women's soccer for national teams. Um, and. Uh, what else? Oh, investment going up to $1 billion in women's soccer around the world, mm-hmm. uh, grassroots level over the next four years, as opposed to the previous plan of $500 million. So doubling it. Oh, and, and prize money, he wants mm-hmm. to go, he wants to double. The prize money area was the one part where I don't think he got it uh, good enough. But otherwise, I thought it was actually a fairly promising plan when you've got the FIFA president behind this. Um I'm most also interested to see, okay, you're going to put a billion dollars into this. Are you know how closely does FIFA audit that money? And is that money going to go when it goes to these federations, especially the ones that haven't supported women's soccer? Is it going to go toward women's soccer? And so I, I honestly think that's going to require some journalists to get out there and actually check. Yeah. Because FIFA is never corrupt in any way. So, so yeah. Um, but I do think this is all promising. So I'm not one of this group that thinks that like FIFA should get out of women's soccer and mm-hmm. like they like should women's soccer should have some separate organization. FIFA's got uh, a surplus of $2.7 billion right now. And if they really do start to put that money into women's soccer, I'd much rather have an organization that has that kind of money in reserves doing that than one starting from scratch. So yeah, no, I, I that would that would just I think be a setback probably. I think it'd be tough. Um, but um, we've come to the end of our podcast, Lakin. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it's been fun to to reengage on all this stuff, and it is an ongoing story. It's not something that just happens once every four years, yeah. and. Um, I do think we are going to have a chance to do some some podcasts from time to time here just to kind of talk about the women's game. So I'm looking forward to that, whether it's national teams, NWSL. We could even bring in some European uh, women's club soccer because uh, they're getting started up again yeah. real soon. Um, but this has been fun. Thanks for joining me. Oh, yeah. Thanks for um, the idea and having me. So we've got breaking news here. We actually recorded our podcast earlier in the day here on Tuesday. Uh, before Jill Ellis had announced that she was stepping down as the U.S. women's national team coach. Now we know that she is. And Lakin, what are our thoughts on this? Well, I personally would have waited until after the Olympics. That's just me. Like, no other coach has ever won, you know, the World Cup and then the Olympics. As a competitor, in my personal opinion, that's what you want to do. But that's not what she, you know, she's ready to go out on top with winning back-to-back World Cups. No other coach can say that they've done that. Yeah, and and there's a reason why people or no team has won both and done the doubles. So maybe she was thinking in terms of this isn't likely, I'd want to go out on top. 
Uh, I do kind of like it when people go out on top, uh, players, coaches, whomever. Um, but I do think most people assume that she was just going to extend for a year. And so mm-hmm. this news is somewhat surprising. Um, I will say this, that yeah, when I wrote this today as well for SI.com, like with her veteran players, at least, Ellis has never really been a beloved figure. Uh, the players, the veterans tried to get rid of her in 2017, didn't succeed. Uh, and then a lot of good things happened in 2018 and 2019. And I think Jill Ellis does deserve a ton of credit for winning a second World Cup uh, and really totally redesigning the U.S. team between 2017 and 2019. Uh, it was a really conservative team in 2015. This team that won the World Cup in 2019 was very much attack-oriented, Um I thought the players were utilized better uh, for the skills that they brought on the field. The 4-3-3 formation seemed to be a good fit. Um, And I think this 2019 team won the World Cup uh, more easily than the 2015 team did. Um, This is the most coveted job in in women's soccer globally. And so I kind of would have thought that if Ellis had a chance and had earned the chance to coach one more year and go to the Olympics that she would have done that. Um, But here we are. Yeah. I'm just kind of curious now. Obviously, the question is who's up next? And first, also, let me just say, I kind of laughed a little bit that, um, well, first of all, she's staying on through October through the Victory Tour, and she's going to be an ambassador for uh, U.S. soccer or <laughs> whatever, it's just, whatever that is. Right. It, it kind of makes me laugh when I mean, she went out on her own terms. Right. But it's like in college football when a coach is, you know, forced to resign and then they give him some honorary title that so he like still involved. That's not exactly what happened here, but that's just the first thing that came to my mind. <laughs> but anyway, um, it's just going to be interesting to see who who steps up. I mean, who do you think is going to be the next next coach of the national team? Well, there's different possibilities. I mean, uh, her assistant Tony Gustafson is pretty well liked by the U.S. players, and uh, and yet there was word in the past week that he was leaving uh, the U.S. women's national team. Um, so I wonder if he might be in the picture. Keep in mind, they still have to hire a, a women's general manager, the first one that they've had at the Federation, whose job will be to hire the new coach. That supposedly is imminent. Um, and we'll see who that is. And uh, people on the list besides Gustafson, probably Laura Harvey, who did get hired by U.S. Soccer briefly and then took an NWSL job instead. Uh, there's other NWSL coaches. Um Mark Parsons, Paul Riley, Blatko, Andonovsky up in uh, Seattle area. Um, so it's interesting to me, mostly men. Right. I, that's another thing I was wondering. Given all the women's empowerment, their lawsuit, not that a man wouldn't be able to, you know, support this team in, in every way that a woman a woman could. But do you think that this team would prefer to have a female coach? Well, the last two men who coached this team didn't last very long or did poorly. So Tom Sermani was out very quickly. Uh, and Greg Ryan was kind of a disaster in the <laughs> 2007 World Cup. So um I think it's going to be an interesting call. I do know that Carlos Cordero, the U.S. soccer president, um, has wanted there to be more women in leadership positions mm-hmm. in U.S. soccer. So I think 
knowing him, I think all things being equal, he'd prefer to have a, a woman coaching the U.S. women's national team. Makes sense. I feel like I hear lots of good things about Mark Parsons, though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, and we've seen these coaches like him long enough now in the NWSL to, to get a sense of what they're about. And they've built relationships with a lot of the U.S. national team players. Um, they know the college game uh, in in the U.S., uh, well, because they've had to try and recruit out of it. So, um, you know, it's just going to be a challenge for anyone who comes in and suddenly has nine months to prepare for the Olympics. And yes, this team just won the World Cup. Yes, it's a great job, but there's a lot of pressure that comes with it. And if you go to the Olympics, I don't think fans are going to be necessarily forgiving if you just say to them, well, I'm sorry, we didn't win the Olympics. I only had nine months on the job beforehand. Well, this is the U.S. Women's National Team. You know, you know, you're always expected to win. I guess if you uh, have Tony Gustafsson step in, then there won't be like you won't miss a beat at all. <laughs> I yes, and and uh, as a bald man, I also really liked his <laughs> ponytail, his little kind of uh, thing he had going there. Um, I, I find it interesting that for as well liked as he has been the last few years uh, with the U.S. Women's Team. He doesn't really have a public profile. Mm-mm. You know, even those of us who've no. covered the team for a, a while have never really interacted with him. And it's I, I used to notice this when I covered college basketball. I don't know if you've noticed it in college football, where some programs they allowed the assistant coaches to talk to the media. Other programs forbid it. Oh yeah. Alabama. Hello. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I've always found that part interesting because on staffs where they have allowed the assistant coaches to talk as a media person that's often been some of the most useful interesting stuff that i'll learn about a team as opposed to something the head coach says and i've always imagined that tony gustafson even though he wasn't really ever made accessible to the media here in the u.s is probably a pretty interesting guy and and i kind of feel like i missed out (laughs) well maybe you'll (laughs) now have the chance to get to really know Everything about him. I guess we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> yes. So unexpected news to an extent. Not totally, but like I think yeah. for most of us. Um, and uh, we'll see where Jill Ellis goes from here because uh, I don't think – she's a coach at heart, so I don't see her not coaching again. But like does that mean NWSL? Does that mean another national team? Um, you know, maybe someone will break the bank on her and, you know, Pia Suntaga just signed with Brazil. Right. Or would she go back to college and just kind of keep a lower profile? And Maybe. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, uh, we'll have to wait and see here. But uh, in any case, just wanted to get this news update into the podcast. Good talking to you, Logan. You too.